Hello and welcome to The Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson, and you know that my passion is to help dads become heroes, which means that it's my joy each week to bring you relevant topics to support that goal, especially when it comes to the dad-daughter relationship. Well, you know the template by now, which is on your mark, get set, go. So picture yourselves dads standing side by side each other, getting ready to run your fathering race this week, and I'm on the sidelines as your coach saying on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic or the theme. Get set. I fill that in with stories and stats and go is always your action step to put this theme into action this week. Well, today on the program, it's my privilege to be joined by my friend, Scott Lee Can. Scott is the commissioner of the Office of Child Support Enforcement, the OCSE, which is a division of the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C. He has worked in government for 28 years now and was in law enforcement as a lieutenant and precinct commander in the police department prior to his current assignment. So what this means is that this man has devoted his life to public service, and I'm so honored that in the midst of his busy schedule that he's made time to be with us here today. I met Scott in January of 2018 when I was invited to what's called a listening session there in Washington, D.C., with nine other national fathering experts as we dialogued with the second-in-command in the Department of Health and Human Services on the topic of fathering. And after our meeting, Scott and I began talking, and I loved hearing his heart, not only for his two daughters, who are now 19 and 20, and even his older married son, but about fathering in the nation at the national level. So here today, he's not only going to share his thoughts with us on some things that are happening at the national level with regards to fathers, but he's also going to be sharing some of his own story as a dad to his two girls. Welcome, Scott Lee Can. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Well, Scott, how about if we tell everyone the title that we came up with for the topic, this is on your mark today, which is understanding a father's heart from an emotional, not a program view. And because you're obviously in government, you're leading our country, you're leading things that have to do with fathering and families, this whole idea of programming, right, is a big deal in in the work you do. But you bring an emotional father's heart to the work that you do. And we're going to kind of talk about that and unpack it today. Scott, because you've devoted the majority of your life to public service, I imagine that you hear stories that break your heart as you travel the nation when it comes to child support and fathers. So how about just start us off with giving us a little bit of information about what your job looks like, what it entails. So thank you, Michelle. And and I would like to start off by saying, you know, I'm honored to serve uh, the administration and as the commissioner for the Federal Office of Child Support Enforcement. And my job really at this level is looking at the policies, regulations, and finances that govern the programs, which are the child support programs in the state level that that obtain child support from fathers to support the families when they're not as a typical family unit exists today. So I don't have the privilege of daily getting to interact with, you know, clients and and hearing those stories. But what I get to do is I get to kind of set policy direction and regulations for the programs across the United States and and in the territories and even in um, tribal child support programs, of which there's 63 currently in the United States. Wow. So, So my job is really... I'm not a boots on the ground kind of person. I'm I'm a policymaker mm-hmm. and uh, you know a legislative driver. But one thing that I really have enjoyed about this position is 
because of my position, I, I've been afforded the opportunity to travel across the country and actually sit down with fathers who are clients of these child support programs, whether it's in South Carolina, Arizona, California, Oregon, Washington, the Midwest, you name it. I've had an opportunity to sit down with dads and, and hear from them what's really on their heart about you know, being a father, paying child support. And, and it's really been interesting and intriguing that, that I've had, you know, these conversations. And I know that, you know, there's numerous studies out there that talk about how, you know, important the role of a father is in the development of a child. And it, it's not just, you know, being there full-time for that child, because I know that there are so many families that exist in, in different situations where the dad's absent, the mom's absent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that even as little as a couple of days a week or a couple of days a month, when that child's really young, it helps that child develop appropriately emotionally. It helps in their brain development, because mm-hmm. there's parts of the brain that develop over time, and that without that interaction of that those two significant people in that child's life, that mother and that father, that it it really, you know, hinders that child's growth emotionally later on in life. And and eventually, you know, the studies show that it catches up, but early on is so integral to, you know, that appropriate development. So as I get out there and I have the opportunity to to hear from these dads, I I hear their struggles and and their stories. and, And it really kind of hits at hits at my heart and mm-hmm. and over my career I had to be, you know, I wouldn't say emotionless, but you know, I had to keep emotions in check when as a law enforcement professional, you know, I had to interact in people's life in not always a positive manner. Right. And, you know, so I had to keep my own emotions in check and really kind of deal with the situation as it was presented to me. And then now I'm seeing some of the aftermath of what happens to these dads who, you know, may, maybe made some bad choices in life and, you know, they had to go to prison and now they're coming out and they're trying to figure out how to re connect with their children and my program comes along and we're trying to get the dollars from them that you know mm-hmm. they were obligated to pay before they came in and one thing I will tell you on the hearts of of you know most people is you start you know messing with their children and their finances that becomes the most protective things that you know people have in life yeah for sure and the amazing thing about it is that a lot of these dads you know don't know how to to re-engage either way, whether it's financially or to be a dad because they've been disconnected or they didn't have that role model in their lives, but they want to learn. And, and I think that's the biggest thing to me is these guys are passionate. They want to be involved with their children. Mm-hmm. They want to be dads. They just don't know how to do it. And they've never had a role model to help them do that. So how are you helping to navigate resources and get, get resources to these kinds of situations where dads want more hands-on practical help. So part of my job at the administration is partnering with the other human services agencies that work with, you know, the families as a whole. And, and the father is part of the family. And, and I think that, as you know, our title suggested, this isn't a, a program, right? because like, we can create programs and we already have, but they're so siloed because it's always based on legislative authority and funding. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that, that hits me really hard is we're all doing a little bit on fatherhood in each one of our programs in a different way, 
but we're not collectively promoting it across the board. Mm-hmm. Well, we saw that as an issue in earlier this, or not actually earlier this year, well, in October, which seems to be eons ago, um, we collectively came together as the programs in the Administration for Children and Families, the Human Services programs, and issued what we call an information memorandum to the states encouraging them to work together with their stakeholders, the service providers, the nonprofits, the churches who are providing fatherhood programs to work across all of the programs to leverage what exists out there. Mm-hmm. And that's the power that, you know, we have is that convening that that we can go across our programs and promote the good work that's being done at that local level that's generally funded, you know, through government, through the federal government, Mm -hmm. state government. And then a lot of it is enhanced through philanthropical organizations, um, religious organizations who do a tremendous job, you know, helping these fathers. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is being there. And and I had an opportunity um, to be in, in South Carolina at the Center for Fathers and Families. And, you know, they are very, uh, their program's very focused and spiritually based, but it focuses and encompasses on the father as a whole. And and I will tell you that, you know, one thing that really struck me being a, a man of faith is that when these fathers got not only connected with understanding their finances and kind of the role of a father and the importance of their involvement, whether they get to see their kid every day or not, but when they got connected spiritually, when they got a, built a relationship with God, they got so focused and got on task with what they needed to do with the rest of their lives. And oh, I you know, love that's just, that. That's just like one example for me that that really struck home because I know that, you know, God and, and my faith and my church played such a big role in my growth as a dad yeah. that when I heard that and I thought, wow, this is kind of government getting out of the way of what really needs to be done and letting the professionals handle that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's what we're trying to leverage is not only leverage, you know, those formal government programs that, you know, fund these efforts, but also getting to the heart of who does it best, how they do it, and and why they do it, and let them really move results. I will tell you the, the amazing thing about hearing the stories firsthand mm-hmm. is their passion to want to connect with their children. And, and that's what just, touches your heart. Yeah, it gets oh. you out of government, right? Being at, behind a desk to the grassroots down where they're living and you're hearing their stories. That's the cool thing, Scott. You take the time to hear the stories. You know, that helps me be a better policymaker. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps us really align our work with the children and not just it being a financial transaction. Speaking of that, I'd love to just kind of turn the tide here because you've done such a great job, Scott, of laying the foundation of your heart not only at a national level in what you do in leadership, but how about if we talk more about your own story? Because I know you and I, in preparation for this today, talked a little bit more about you and what's given you a heart for fathers and for this nation in that way. So how about you tell us a little bit about what your fathering journeys look like, maybe even in some of the rougher patches of of the journey with your daughters? Oh, sure. I, I would love to do that. So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, my daughters are now adults um, and, you know, soon to be officially not even teenagers, but right. they are adults. And, you know, I look back and, 
I think in a lot of ways, my, my kids had it a little rougher and, you know, our li- the listeners out there that who may be involved in law enforcement in one way or another or corrections or public safety, they kind of get this because we're absent a lot and, you know, and we're seeing, you know, either, you know, families being torn apart, you know, crime or kids being hurt. So it almost like in some ways kind of desensitized me as a father and I became like, mm-hmm almost overly protective and, and paranoid and, and very, you know, kind of like a rules focused kind of dad. And mm-hmm. I had really high expectations. And as you can imagine, that right. doesn't translate well to, you know, fostering, you know, kind of that um, nurturing side of being a dad, because I was always living in a protector enforcer kind of mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I think back and, you know, I will say that there's nothing that, you know, a dad and a son have a great relationship, but there's nothing that tugs at and it tugged at my heart a lot is mm-hmm. the relationship with my girls and, you know, how yep. they acted and, mm-hmm. you know, how they saw me and, and how I wanted to really set an example. And, you know, I mean, I had, you know, all kinds of opportunities to you know, do things a certain way. And when I reflect, I'm like, man, I, you know, I, I read your book and I, and I thought, you know, and you and I had a conversation about this later is I'm like, I think it's too late because the girls are grown up. Mm. I'm like, I missed the mark on some of this stuff early on. And you're like, no, it's okay. We can, we can still do this. <laughs> yeah. We so, can course correct now. It's never too yeah, late. We can, we can course correct. So, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know, the things that, that really still weigh on me and, and, even just happened recently. Like I met my daughter at the airport last night. We were both flying in from different locations and we couldn't find each other. And, you know, I immediately went into my typical dad frustration mode and, you know, kind of got, I, instead of hugging and loving her, I was like, why didn't you find me? And, you know, I was like focusing Mm. on the problem instead of the issue. And I look back and I did that so much. I mean, I I was like, always like, okay, I'm going to resolve this. And, you know, I know that, you know, girls are, you know, come from a different emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they challenged me, I was always about winning. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think that that over the years has caused some tension. And I can see that there's still some of that, you know, and I saw that in my daughter last night. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think back of like, you know, the unique challenges you have, right? Like, how am I going to handle this? And, you know, something that, you know, I'm like, okay, did I handle these things properly? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when my daughter went through her door slamming stages. I don't know if dads out there had that same issue. <laughs> you know they or, are. Or if, you, or if you did that yourself, Michelle, or not. But, right, right. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think it's, you know, so we go through that. And my resolution was to take the door. So I Off the hinge. My, I got my screwdriver out and I took the door off the, <laughs> off the wall. And, you know, of course, being as strong-willed as I am, you know, my daughter was very creative and she used her trundle message and ma- mattress and created another door. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you ain't going to win this. Like, you know, so... Power struggle. I, it's on. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that those kind of things, like, daily on little things. And, you know, because of... You know, I mean, I love my daughters to death, and, and I would do anything for them. And and I really kept thinking, like, there's things I'm not doing right. And, you know, I, at that point in life, it's like, I got to figure out, you know, how I get 
down this path and, and how I kind of rebuild some things. And, you know, because they're so it, different. You told me both girls, it was like you needed a different manual for each of them. Oh, exactly. Because, you know, the little one, I could look at her and mm-hmm. I can make her cry. And, you know, I'm like, wow, like, and you're good with crying so different. No, I'm not. No. I'm not. No, I, you <laughs> like know, a lot like, of men, oh, right? Stop crying. Yeah, I'm, I, I think at some point it's like, okay, enough. Like, we're moving on, you know? And she's not and, done yet. So what do you do now? Now that you've, you know, you're older and wiser, you've kind of graduated to another phase of your life. Do you respond different to their emotions than you did even five or 10 years ago? You know, that, that's something I'm going to have to admit that I'm still working on because mm-hmm. I, I still have, I, I think that, you know, a lot of men, and, and maybe this may just be me, is you kind of stay in the mode of the work you do. And because I have a job with a lot of heavy responsibility mm-hmm. and, and I'm managing people and I, and I'm, you know, my, my work is designed to get results and outcomes. And, you know, I have a hard time turning that off. Yeah. And, like know, a lot of men, still, right? You get in work mode and you come home and it doesn't, you know, always cross over. Oh, exactly. And, and I think the difficulty is, is, you know, when, when you're trying to meet their emotional needs, and we're coming from two different spaces, I mean, I immediately try to solve everything instead of just listening. And, and I have a hard time with that, because you said earlier, you know, like, sometimes men are in work mode. And, mm-hmm. we're, and if we're in problem solvers, we're task oriented, or whatever we may be doing, whatever type of work we're doing, it's about, you know, getting that done and solving whatever the issue is in front of us. Well, I always think that's the same way. I always forget that they might not want a solution. They yep. just need me to listen. You know what's and- so wild you say that? It's literally yesterday afternoon I was talking to a 16-year-old girl who said to me, I had a meltdown after school on Monday. My dad picked me up from school. It was a horrible day. And she said, my dad is the best listener. That's the exact thing she said. And so I think even if men only take that away from our conversation, because we're talking about understanding a father's heart from an emotional right point of view, it's listening is doing something. That's not a lack of fixing something, right? That is a gift. Yeah, it, it is. And, it, and it's amazing because, you know, I have to admit that I wasn't a good listener over those years. And, and I've really been trying to work on that and get out of the immediately go to, you know, give them an answer for something because it, it may not be the right answer. Well, let me ask you this. What have you learned about yourself as a father to daughters as you look back now with 2020 hindsight? And you've said a few things. Does anything else come to mind? When I look back, I want to say, you know, for me is I really wish I would have had somebody kind of really explain to me what, you know, a daughter would need from me from Mm -hmm. a, a stronger emotional perspective. Like, listen, don't try to solve, don't always be a protector, you know, those kind of things, because it was really hard for me to learn that. And I, 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 you know, I I mean, you can attribute that to a variety of things. But for me, it was really, you know, I'm kind of frustrated that it took me so long to do that. And, and but at least you're there now. There's the encouraging side of it. You know, we're all in process. So you you figured this out along the way and not all dads have. And I'm trusting that dads that are listening today will follow your lead and saying, you know, be willing to admit that you didn't respond. okay, make amends. Right. Pursue her heart that way. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing of it is, is, you know, the one there's a, a lot of takeaways I took, you know, over life. And then, you know, but, you know, in talking with others and, you know, 
reading your book and you're pointing these things out, it's like that really makes you think about, you know, what you need to do. And, and, and I think you're right. It doesn't matter what their age is. We can still. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is really important. It's like you're their, their biological father, but you can be the dad. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, and, you know, for those dads that it's not their biological daughter, they can still be a dad. Absolutely. And, you know, yep. And it's about your heart to love them and really, you know, show them what it what it means to be a protector, a listener, you know, an advisor, a coach. Exactly. You know, however you want to couch us. But, you know, for me, it's like this this shouldn't be a program, you know. It shouldn't be something that's designed and says, you know, the government says you have to have a fatherhood program. This has to come from people, you know, at all levels. And, exactly. and it doesn't always have to be a formal program, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that I, I will say is um, if I would have been a little bit more introspective and thought about this, I probably would have sought out some help somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Being teachable. You know? Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. You know, you're you're trying to learn on your own. And, you know, I saw a lot of the ill effects of bad fathers and bad dads, you know, when I was in law enforcement and right, right. You know, people are human and there are things that cause that there's, there's drug addiction and there's alcoholism mm-hmm. and there's, you know, they weren't taught appropriately, but, but if we can get like, as I always say, if I could get over myself and say, I can be taught this <laughs> yeah. um, and learn from it and actually yeah. apply it, I could be a better dad. Oh, and, I love that. And Scott, I so appreciate you talking honestly about where you've even blown it at times as a father, because here you are, right, as an influential national leader, and yet you're willing to admit that you have flaws and haven't always gotten it right as a dad, which I hope isn't going to encourage those that are listening. What do you believe would help fathers to follow your lead in being open to input without being defensive so they can grow? Most men are not wired emotionally, and, and maybe I'm speaking more for myself and, you know, my, you know, the males in my life, but mm-hmm. we're not wired automatically emotionally. We have to work at that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a weakness. It, and it's taken me a lot of years to realize that. That's that good. Being emotional is not a weakness. And I know I got to work on it even more because, you know, as my daughter said, like I said, I don't cry. I, I don't remember the last time I actually cried, to be honest. And, and my daughters know that I never do. And, you know, I, t- I keep telling them I'm saving it up for when they get married. And, you know, <laughs> I love uh, that. They're kind of holding me to that. But but I think, you know, for me is let yourself be a little vulnerable with your daughters. And would this so that- be the go step? You know, I always end with one go step. Is this if a dad wants to be more emotionally connected rather than focused on programs or the rules of the house, would you tell him to start there? Yes, I would. I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. And, you know, obviously we're all coming from a different perspective, but I think if we take one step, like just open yourself up and, and be vulnerable and, and let your emotions show. I personally think that it would pay dividends mm-hmm. and I wish I would have done that long ago. I wish I would have had that go step, you know, 15 years ago or even more, but you know, just in looking at my own life and I think you know, we want to be action oriented. And mm-hmm. I love that you have that as the go. Yes. Because th- that to me is an action. And, and I'm actually going to take that away because, you know, I owe an apology to my daughter tonight and, and to my wife, you know, from yesterday. And I need to let go of my other stuff and just make it happen. So, Aww. 
Wow. Thank you for being so real about that. Like you're like, I'm you're saying as I'm talking, I'm realizing I'm being convicted. I've got to work on this tonight. So, oh, 100 percent. You know, as I played that in my head and and it wasn't scripted. I mean, it just naturally happened over the interaction. And but the more I thought about it, and as I was preparing for our call today, I kept thinking, man, like I fail all the time, including Mm -hmm. yesterday. And I'm like, how appropriate. I'm going to be on the phone talking about a father's heart. (laughs) There you you go. Yeah. Wow. Well, Scott Lakin, thank you so much for being with us. If you're just joining us now or missed the intro, I've been talking with Scott Lacan. He is a government official in Washington, D.C., and he's been talking today about understanding a father's heart from an emotional, not a program view. You can listen back on my website, drmichellewatson.com. You can always go to iTunes and listen to these again on the Dad Whisperer. Well, between today and next Monday, you've heard Scott's challenge to you dads to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Let your daughters see your emotion and watch what happens relationally. If you've enjoyed the conversation today, you might want to listen again on iTunes. You can go to my website, drmichellewatson.com, where I have free resources and a link to my book, Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You, A Guide for Connecting With Your Daughter's Heart. It's been a joy to have you here again today, where I want to champion dads to be intentional and consistent as they pursue their daughter's hearts. Go Dads!